0: Hey, y'all, it's Black History Month, Black Futures Month, and this is our hot topic. All right, so y'all know I like to keep it real with y'all. So every February, we know Black History Month is coming around. I talk to my son's school and say, hey, what's the program in this year? And I get the runaround as I've gotten in the last three years of him being at this school. Mind you, I'm an educator, I'm an activist, I have a whole organization. (laughs) I have a whole podcast and we talk about raising liberated black free children. And so I've offered all of my resources to the school. I've met with the teachers. I've met with the principals. Um, I facilitated workshops and classes. I've facilitated the Black History Month curriculum for his class for the last few years. And at this point, I'm over me doing all the labor and I want the school to integrate curriculum and content for Black History Month. And so I bring this up to the principal again and I'm given the runaround and now I'm frustrated. So February 14th comes around and an email comes out that students could wear red or pink. They don't have to wear uniforms um, in honor of Valentine's Day. And that shit triggered me because Valentine's Day is a made up capitalist holiday. And that can be honored at the school and they can have plans for what the students can do to honor that holiday, but they have no ideas or plans about how the school can honor Black History Month. And Valentine's Day is in the middle of Black History Month and you have not sent not one email. Okay, so of course I get to my email, my Twitter thumb, my email thumbs are, 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 are going and I send an email to the principal and I let them know that I'm really disappointed in their lack of effort And I also let them know that I'm disappointed in myself. I'm disappointed in myself as an educator, as a black person, as a black mama and activist, because I've allowed this school to, you know, just not do anything for the last three years. Like the school is not doing anything. They haven't pushed back on me doing things, but they want me to do all the labor. And guess what? That's not my job. That's why I pay. I pay for this school. And I can't believe that I've been spending my money at a place that refuses to acknowledge my son's humanity. And so I communicate that in this email. And I also tell them I'm disappointed in them for giving me the runaround and lip service for the last years, saying they have a commitment, but doing nothing. If these corporations can make commitments and do Black History Month programming, then why can't this small private school in California do anything? So I let them know that it's not by accident. It's not a happenstance. It's not a mishap. That they're making intentional choices and that I refuse to continue to make choices that that don't acknowledge my son's life and humanity. And so I'm livid y'all. And so I realized that even with all the effort, right, I'm just one parent and I can't put all that responsibility on myself. I even challenged the school to say, maybe I should email all the other parents and we can get together and come up with ideas about what y'all can do and hold y'all accountable. Yeah, they didn't like that. They don't like when parents start to organize, right? So they replied to me and they're trying, they're trying, but their efforts are not enough. And I know that there are many parents, many black parents all over the world who are experiencing this. And you're not alone. And I know that schools are supposed to be the place that let our children dream and imagine. And unfortunately, we can't rely on educational institutions. And so that's why we have to take it up for ourselves. You know, as black parents, we have to make sure that they are seen, that they read books that are reflective of them, that they learn that they have so many possibilities and opportunities. And that's not only about black history. It's about how do we build black futures? How do we invest and support and love on and affirm and lift up our black babies? And so that's why this week we're going to be talking to an educator and mama who is really creating work and doing the parenting work that is about lifting up her beautiful black children and supporting them through art, literature, and so much creativity because we believe that black futures are possible. So check out this episode. Raising black children in the United States can be really scary and as a black mother I realized I was parenting from fear and I wanted to make a commitment to parent for liberation. You are listening to parenting for liberation podcast and I am your host Trina Green Brown. Each month I'm joined by other black parents and we discuss our own journeys to push past our fears. So that we can raise our beautiful black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Hey folks, this is Trina Green Brown here, your host with Parenting for Liberation. And it is Black History slash Black Futures Month. And we are here with Ashley Aaron. She is an educator, a bibliophile, an art enthusiast, a house plant collector. She got me beat, y'all. She got more house plants than me. And she is a mama (laughs) of two wonderful little humans. Thank you, Ashley, for joining us. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So glad to have you and happy Black Futures Month to you.
1: Happy Black Futures Month.
0: Yes. And so we're just going to talk a little bit about Black Futures and how we're raising liberated Black babies. So, you ready to get into it? I'm ready. Awesome. Okay, so as we think about, you know, raising black futures, can you tell me how you are raising black futures, both as a mama, and also in your work as an educator, um, and also as someone who works in the arts? How are you practicing and incorporating liberatory practices in your parenting as well as in your work?
1: Um, I guess I can talk about my parenting first, because I think even though I started this work as an educator before I became a parent, I felt like becoming a parent really helped me practice it. It really kind of took it to the next level because it was less about how to support other people's children and really about like, well, what does this actually look like to you in your everyday life? Um, So I think that when I think about raising Black children in liberatory ways, I think about allowing them to be creative and allowing them to kind of be themselves and you kind of watch them um and support their interests uh one of my sons um my now six-year-old is super was was super interested in building he was always building something he was always creating something and so for me i was like how do i tap into this um how do i support his growth and his, you know, little two year old passions, because that's how old he was when I kind of first started seeing it happen. Um, So I started finding spaces that engaged young children in building. Um, So we started checking out a lot of children's museums. um, And I noticed once we started going to a lot of children's museums. he became really comfortable and way more confident in his building. Like at first he would build towers and then he began to build structures and then he began to build like little cities. Like, so I remember it started out with these magnetic tiles and then he went to Legos and now he he got boxes. He gets boxes and just, he just, starts gluing them together and painting and i was thinking like wow this is really interesting and he makes a mess <laughs> so i also in this idea of like liberatory practices i also have to have a lot of internal conversations with myself like okay you said you wanted this so as it's happening you have to like support it um so i have to actually have a lot of conversations with myself about like take a breath. Calm down, you know, <laughs> like kind of be in the moment. Um, Also, allowing children, um, I think supporting children and the things that they are just excited about, even if, you know, they're not the things you're excited about. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so... <laughs> right now, he's like really into um, Minecraft. Mm, and yes. Minecraft for me is so annoying. Um, it <laughs> it just it doesn't make sense to me, you know. Um, but I I had a I had a reflective moment a couple months ago. I was like, Ashley, you are always on YouTube watching plant videos. <laughs> so I was like, you know, so if he wants to watch Minecraft of other people playing Minecraft, because he's not even actually playing it. He's watching other people play Oh, my
0: goodness. I was like, what's the difference? Right, right. Oh, my goodness. So much of that resonates. My kid watches videos of people playing video games all the time. But it started, like, even when he was younger, he used to, like, love Thomas the Train. And he used to watch videos of people playing with their trains. And I'm like, son, you have a whole box of trains in there that you can play yourself it, you know, interesting, interesting. I think a lot of parents are like, this is weird. But I appreciate you saying like, how can you support their interests, even when they don't align with your interests, and even when they make no sense um, to you. Right? That feels important that you're cultivating their own interest and validating what they care about and supporting them, even your your son who's a builder, right? Um, Allowing it to be messy, Um, especially when we're like, this is not neat, this is not organized and allowing that mess because that mess is what contributes to their creativity and their imagination. So I really love that you're doing that. And I also hear you when you were like, I've been doing this work as an educator for years, but it's not till you have your own kid in your house to begin to like practice it on a day-to-day that it becomes like a legit day-to-day practice. Um, And that's literally like kind of some of the impetus for me even starting Parenting for Liberation. So that definitely resonated. Uh
1: Yeah, I can can also speak more to um, what it looks like being an educator. Um, So I started off, Teaching college, um, and I had a lot of fun teaching college. Uh, as I mentioned before, less fun grading, but a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was it was actually when I began to teach younger children in the summer. Um, I started working with a program called Oakland Freedom School, and it was a program rooted in like the Black Southern tradition of like community focused education, community responsive education. Um, and in black communities, and I thought I was ready, and I was not ready. Um, you know, I was still very much kind of my intellectual self, and you know, seven-year-olds is like, we we're here to play. So I don't want to hear about. <laughs> I don't want to hear about all that stuff right now. Like you talking about the birth of black studies, I want to play.
0: Um, not the birth of black studies with the seven-year-olds
1: it was really like every every year uh when I taught freedom school in the summer um you have to develop a classroom theme um and you have to like transform the entire space to make it reflect like a theme and the theme is of your choice right and like if you've ever done work in Oakland like people are serious about being black so I was excited. I was ready. I thought I was ready. Uh, So I was like, my theme is going to be black studies, the birth of black studies. Right. And the kids were super upset with me. They were like, we wanted you to make a beach. And I was like a beach. You wanted me to transform this space into a beach. And, And so I was like, you know what, this is their space. So I created um, I had to I had to go back to the drawing board and I kind of repurposed a lot of the things that I had used to create a classroom about black studies. And I made it about a beach in Africa. So you know, I was like, you know what, you have to center the needs of children. The children are telling me what they want. Um, and so what the experience of Freedom School taught me is that. You have to be responsive to children and you actually have to understand. um, You don't have to, but it really helps to understand child development um, to be able to really support children. And I recognized early on that all the children were super interested in making art, Um, but I recognized that a lot of them had had experiences with making art that were less than ideal. Uh, experiences where adults were telling them what to do, experiences where adults were um, just really judgmental about their art and how they were making mm, it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I recognized that that um, experience for me as an educator that I returned back to like every summer for six years, um, it helped It helped ground me in a lot of ways. Um, it helped ground me to see like, this actually best supports children. Um, When the children have a say in kind of leading, you know, what you're gonna do throughout the day. Um, They have an influence over the curriculum. Um, How do you engage with children? Do you, is it like a product that you want the children to create if you are creating art? Or do you want them to enjoy the process of it? Mm -hmm. Um, That I think really influenced who i became as an educator i think because of my work with younger children even as i continued working with college students during the school year um my my teaching became more creative it became more hands on it became more um project focused and art inspired um, in a way that it would not have if i think i think if i just had to just work traditionally in the academy um Mm. so yeah
0: no that's that, yeah that's really helpful and I really you know honestly I just love hearing you talk about the shifts that you made in your classroom and working with young people and kiddos you know I before I had children I was a youth organizer youth educator doing youth development and young people will definitely call you in and hold you accountable and <laughs> And it's a beautiful thing when adults can hear them, hear their requests, receive it, yeah, and receive it. Because a lot of times, you know, as you said, you said some other educators or art, you know, instructors would be judgmental about art and really have like a specific project in mind that they wanted the students to go through, and that you mm-hmm. actually listened to their voices and their perspectives and made those shifts. So, kudos to you. And I don't even know how you shifted from ble- birth the Black Studies to a whole black, a Black Beach. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was like, they want to go to the beach. I still want to root it in blackness. Let's 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 build something together. And you're like,
0: we about to be off the shores of Ivory Coast. That's where that's the beach <laughs> yeah. you going to. I love yeah. it. I love it. Um it just shows also your ability to innovate and be creative and be responsive to the needs of young people. So that's that's beautiful. More black children, you know, deserve that type of energy um from Absolutely. the adults around them, you know? Um yeah. and also I'm just gonna Put in my request right now on air, right? Um, I just started teaching a class at Cal State Fullerton, You're right? And right. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, you know, I'm not calling you in or anything, but I <laughs> am gonna need some support, especially with these project based learning assignments. So, um, gotcha. educator to educator, hook me, hook us sister up. I got it. <laughs> okay, what you were sharing earlier reminds me of this quote that I love from Daniel Moody, who's the host of Woke as Fuck Daily. Um, And it says, what would the world look like if we allowed our black children to be just as free as their white peers? If we encourage their inquisitiveness and impulsiveness, instead of telling them to be quiet, get in line and follow instructions, maybe just maybe we would have the blueprint to the next revolution. So as you hear that quote, as a parent, as an educator, what thoughts come up for you?
1: So many thoughts come up for me with this quote. First of all, I love this quote. It is thought provoking for me. Um, and just really concrete ways. Um, I think about the conversations that I have had as an educator with educators, but also as a caregiver, as a parent with other caregivers and parents. Um, I think about... Just something as simple as like, what do we tell our children if, you know, they happen to go to school outside the home? What do we tell them when they're leaving for the day? I I thought about it recently when I noticed that I was telling my son as he, you know, walked to the car, I was like, make sure you listen to your teacher today. And I was thinking like, he's in school eight hours a day. Is that all you want him to get out of his day? to listen to his teachers. Um, What would it look like if we instead invited our children um, to what are you going to make today? What are you going to create today? What do you want to learn today? Um, Even outside of school, right? Um, What does it look like if we take our children to places that, you know, maybe we didn't get to go to um, as children or maybe our parents didn't even know about? As children, I think um, I live in the Bay Area and there are so many interesting opportunities and like um, experiences that, you know, you can offer for your children um, that I think a lot of times when I, me and my son, you know, might be checking them out, we see all these white kids. Um, We see all these white kids that their families aren't worried about them getting all messy. Their parents aren't worried about them being quiet. Um, their parents aren't worried about actually them being obedient. Um, And so while I recognize us as Black folks, we have entirely different history and a different story. Um, And a lot of the the traumas that we have experienced have affected even our ability to feel free. Um, I think about how liberating it is to, you know, take my son to the playground and let him just destroy sand. (laughs) (laughs) There's a park that we go to sometimes. And I know like my mom, when I I take her with us, she she dies a little inside every time. Oh no. (laughs) Every time the water comes out with the sand, she's like, he's going to get in his hair, Ashley. He's going to mess up his clothes. And I'm like, but look at how excited he is with it. Like, look at how much joy he's getting from just this simple act Mm. um, of just like being present, like being joyful, being like unconcerned about anything but beyond this moment. Um, I think about like, what does that do to their senses if we deny them this? Um, Black children are no less deserving of free, happy, inquisitive childhoods. white children are not inherently more free thinking um, because they are, you know, not often burdened by these same kind of, um, I think ideas also about like who's watching, um, who's, you know, like who's going to judge you, um, thinking about like, what does it look like if black children get to dress themselves all the time? You know, and as a black parent, me, myself, I have to like, be like, okay, take a deep breath (laughs) (laughs) when he dresses himself, you know, or one of my sons dresses himself. Um, like what does it look like to support their inquisitiveness and not just say like you asking too many questions, stop talking, stop talking back. Like what does it look like to actually answer their questions or invite them to find the answer? Um, i think i think that is a revolution like what it what would it look like if we had an entire generation of free children those children would create a a way more free world where black children are just they're just free like i don't me myself i actually can't picture what that even looks like because i actually myself haven't experienced it but it's, it's really heady to me. It's really attractive to think about, like, what would it look like for children to be fully supported in, in just like childhood? Like, how would that translate into, like, what later does adulthood look like?
0: Mm. Well, it's possible. I believe. I must believe it's possible. I might not see it in my generation, in my time, just like our ancestors didn't see us being free. So it's possible. And I think it takes all of us like you, it takes all of us in our individual parenting, it takes us in our workplaces, Mm -hmm. really supporting and uplifting black children to be free, to just be children, you know, without all the stresses, and all the burdens. And I know, like you said, we have completely different um, experiences. And I know, you know, on this podcast, we talk a lot about dr joy DeGruy's work post-traumatic slave mm-hmm. syndrome and how the maladaptive parenting practices that were created and um created in response to enslavement right in order to keep yeah. black children and black families safe during enslavement there were um, survival strategies such as yeah such as like controlling our children, forcing them to be obedient in order to maintain their safety, in order to make sure they won't sold, they weren't sold away. So I understand that those practices were put in place by our ancestors in order to keep us safe so that we could be here today talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I also know that some of those practices and habits have become maladaptive and are more harmful, and are actually limiting our children's ability to thrive and so this conversation and all the conversations that we have are about how do we make those shifts you know what i mean how do we shift from trying to control our children ask them to be obedient have them be quiet and instead cultivate children who have questions and opinions and push back against inequity and have ideas and can imagine like that is how we create the revolution it's through our children having access to their full power and potential
1: I think about, um, I was working in early childhood recently, and I think about a lot of the conversations that I was having with um, parents and caregivers around, like, what does curriculum look like? Um, And when I say early childhood, we were working with children, and we're like, one to five, right? So this is early childhood. Um, And already, we were having conversations around, like, why are they playing so much? They need to... They need to be prepared for like kindergarten. They need to be prepared for first grade. When they were in um, like the toddler classrooms, it was, well, they need to be prepared for for pre-K, right? So we're always preparing them for for being um, inadequate in a sense. Um, We're always preparing them for the next test and not actually for like, what do we really need to live joyously Um, if we take away play from children? If we allow, if we don't allow children to be messy, um, like we actually restrict their, their childhoods, um, Hmm. their ability to experiment, explore, um, figure out cause and effect if, if all they're doing is is worksheets. And so it was, it was interesting to kind of like, have those conversations be- because they they caused me to actually have to put into words. I think um, things that I just myself had kind of been grappling r- with around like what does what does early childhood look like. Uh, I read an article recently that was talking about the differences between childcare centers in rich communities and uh, low wealth communities. And they were talking about a lot of the things that we often in low wealth communities are pushing onto our children around like making sure they know all their letters making sure they know all their numbers making sure they know sounds like these are not the experiences often that wealthy families are looking for in a child care center. they're looking for forest schools they're looking for uh a lot of choice They're in for their children. They're looking for um, art, science, all these hands-on, exploratory um, experiences that set you up to engage in innovation, to engage in experimentation. Um, And like, what does it mean if we if we don't set up our children to have those same experiences? What are we denying them?
0: And Mm -hmm. what does that
1: look like years later?
0: Yeah, and what are we preparing them for, right? So exactly. you said like they're preparing them for the next test or the next worksheet, mm-hmm. right? And so you we cultivate... A, a, a group of children who are rule followers obedient pass the paper pass the test but we don't cultivate those who innovate who dream who have ideas who are the creators who are the inventors right mm-hmm. and every year for black history month we celebrate all the black inventors and all the black creators mm-hmm. because it's like wow look at what this person with their minds and their thoughts and their ideas and their hands that they created and cultivated they
1: figured out
0: Yeah, but you don't become the creative, you know, innovation person if you know if you're, you know, if your brain is just limited to following these rules and listening to direction. Right. Um, So we're kind of talking about radical imagination. And I I know as parents and even as educators, you know, when when our kids are little, we say you can be anything you want to be. yeah, Anything you dream of. What do you want to be? Right. And we tell them that. But then. On the flip side, we police their behaviors, we stifle their Mm -hmm. imaginations, we tell them to, like we said, be quiet, sit down, follow the rules, listen to your teacher today. Mm -hmm. Um, We limit their personalities and so, what are the ways that we can shift, right? If we want to be oriented towards Black futures and Afrofuturism, um, which is about innovation and imagination and radical possibilities, what ways can we encourage our children to imagine their future in these radical ways?
1: I think we have to encourage our children to dream. Um, and so to encourage our children to dream, we have to allow them um not even really like, yes, allow, but really just like support their process of becoming like who they are and what they find joy in. Um, I think, for example, we I had a conversation recently with someone who was saying um, my daughter does great in school. um, She does great in all these subjects. And she told me that she wanted to be an author. And I told her like, uh uh-uh, uh, authors don't make no money. And I was thinking like, what? Uh, <laughs> but, I, but, but, but I understand it, like, so I understand it. But, but I think about like, what would it look like if instead of telling our children what we think they should be at the same time that we tell them they could be anything, like, even if she or the child wants to be an author for three weeks, like support that, right? Like, what does it mean to be an author? What does it mean to be a writer? Like, mm-hmm. you have to have experiences, right? Like you, you have to see words around you, you have to um, allow the creative process to unfold. Um, I think like this idea of dreaming. Um in, in some of my work as an educator, I found that as our society kind of impresses these limitations on our children, it affects their ability to drink. Uh, I ask children all the time, like, what would you do um, in your future if if money wasn't an issue, if you didn't have to think about money? Um, And it's actually hard for people to conceptualize that um, because everyone's, I mean, even our conversation right now, everyone's idea of the future is tied to labor It's tied to work, you know? So what does it mean to dream of a future beyond even labor? Like, Mm. what does it mean to just say, I'm an author because I write. I like to write. Even if I never publish a book. What does it mean that I'm a builder? Because I like to build. I don't have to be an architect. Like, what does it mean to follow your passions, even if your passions don't relate
0: to labor Mm. you know you are you are you are asking the questions and I think that is afrofuturism right it's about it's about imagining an alternative or a different possibility for how we even structure our world and unfortunately we are in a capitalistic as fuck Mm -hmm. country you know society and everything is attached to what you can produce and what you can earn Yes, and so and even the, that mom saying that like uh-huh. that that writers don't authors don't make money. My immediate thought was like, ah, oh, her daughter could be on Oprah's book club oh, and could real. be a New York Times bestseller. They'd be making money, right? Like that's yeah. immediately what I thought. Right, I thought of something capitalistic, right? Um, yeah. Because I heard the question. I'm like, yes, that is a concern. But you're right. What if she just her daughter just wanted to write because she wanted to tell stories. Like she wanted to share her imaginations and alternative realities that she created in her mind and put them on paper. She wanted to move people.
1: I think of like the innovative ways also that even like young folks right now are redefining, like, what does it even mean to like produce? Like, I feel like even in my education, producing just meant like, like a book. Right. But like we can look right now at social media and think about like how, all these folks are creating this innovative, like captivating, like content. Mm-hmm. Right. Now we have an entire section of society, you know, is that's like I'm a content creator. I develop content so people can engage with it. And you know, whatever they do with it, whether it's makeup, whether it's, you know, like uh books, like um, there's a woman I follow on social media, um. The Free Black Women's Library.
0: Oh yes, and I'm Ballist. just like
1: so excited every time I see a post from her. Um, and it's just like I remember there was a post that was about like um uh, your reading challenge for the year, mm. right? And I'm thinking about like what does it mean that all that information is being shared between like Black women and people who consume literature like by Black women and non-binary Black folks like. I'm like so excited by that and I'm like but somebody somewhere had to be like your limitations are maybe for you they're not for me I want to create something
0: that's different Mm. yeah and I'm creating it because I enjoy creating it because I enjoy it
1: you know like I think about like my love of plants. I'm no, I'm no botanist. <laughs> I don't want to sell no plants. I don't want to, you know, like, I just like, like watching them grow mm-hmm. and being like, I didn't kill you today. you know. <laughs> um, so I think like, just, just for the simple joy of it, for the pleasure, even if you can't really explain it,
0: mm, Yeah, what it means
1: if you cultivated that in children.
0: Yes, I love that. It's funny because because my Capricorn mind, who has been raised in a capitalist society, mm-hmm. um, my friend would be like, Trina always trying to make everything a side hustle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like every idea, I'm like, oh, how can we make that a business? How can we make that? Yeah. And it's like, I know that that is a part of me. Um, <clears throat> I could appreciate it and admire you, like, oh, that's such a you know business-minded brain. And I also yeah. know a part of that comes from my, Own childhood trauma or my own experiences around poverty or low wealth, right? Like always wanting to find a way to make money in this capitalist society. But it does kill some of the joy of the actual thing that I love to do that's fun when I turn it into a side hustle. So it makes me think about like, what's the work that I need to do, right? As a parent, because I also pushed that on my kid. He was, he had this idea about something. It went so fast. It came and then it went so fast. But I yeah. I attached to it and was like, Oh my goodness, you should do that and then I started like researching all the things that he could do and like, mm-hmm. oh, we can buy this and then you can wrap it up and then you can repackage it and sell it. And this is a brand, you know, like I went down the rabbit yeah. hole, right. And like all that pressure on him. And he was like, you know, I'm not even even interested in that anymore, mom. <laughs> <I've> moved <on. laughs> I moved on. And so yeah. there's also the flip side of the parents saying, no, you can't do that. And being like, yeah. no, you can't do that. And then there's the flip side of parents like me that are like, oh, you like dance. Okay, let's get you in all the ballet classes. Let's get you in every single thing. Yep. And then like, push and push the pressure to like make you a success because it's like the flip of the other coin and so I guess my question is how do we as parents and educators heal the parts of ourselves that trigger us to, re- to react to our children um, in this manner like what's mm-hmm. the internal work that we the adults need to do to ensure that children can be free to dream as you said I think that's like
1: that's such a great question. Um, I think it honestly it involves a lot of self reflection. Um, I think for me, I think there's something, some part of my brain chemistry that constantly overthinks things. Um, but in that, always overthinking things, it has, I think it has encouraged me to be extremely self reflective. Um, not in all things. Um, but um, <laughs> reflective in like the ways that I respond to certain things that my children or other children do, and think about like what is this really about. Um, I think of a time when I worked in early childhood and a little girl spit on me, mm. and I, to say I was trigger was like an understatement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I I had to really think like, what is going on with this child that is causing her to react in this way? So Mm -hmm. that that kind of like moment of like remove the affront, remove like the disgust that I'm getting from this actual situation. And that doesn't mean that like I figured it out right in that moment. But I I had to have a conversation with myself in that moment around how I was going to react. Um, so that kind of conversation, that internal dialogue, I think can be one of the ways that it can be really supportive around like how are we healing ourselves? What does it mean to be reactionary? Um, and how does that actually harm our relationships with children and other adults? Um, so I think about. For example, another example. Um, when my six-year-old, I think he was four or five at the time. Like I, as a side note, I'm I'm in a nail shop like clockwork. Okay, so like every two
0: <laughs> appointments stay on.
1: Yes, right. So I make my appointment when I'm leaving. So I'm like, we we
0: got it, okay.
1: <laughs> but my son, he wanted to paint his toenails. And my immediate, like, you know, my colonized mind was like, what? You know, and then I'm like, hold on. Let's think about why he would want to paint his toenails. He sees his mom every two weeks with a different color. And every two weeks, I remember he would notice. He would say things like, um, Wow, that's a really pretty color. I love colors, right? So mm. he loves colors. So his loving of colors then equates to I want some color on my toenails like you got some color on my toenails and I remember like me having kind of like a moment where I was like uh that's not appropriate mm-hmm. and then I was thinking like well what's not appropriate about it right so so for me I had to do like the inner work of like how am I navigating like my internalized notions of what's acceptable for children um what am I making this about really? when like we most of us as humans enjoy color
0: Mm
1: -hmm. so i think a lot of it has to do with kind of to your question like how do we heal how do we heal ourselves so that we don't impose whatever notions we have upon children um and like how does this support them in the process like how do we um like my son likes to wear tie dye, mm-hmm. right? And so I think about like in my in my mind, my media reaction sometimes is like, why you got to wear tie? Right? Like, <laughs> I bought you this cute <laughs> little shirt. Why you got to wear the tie dye shirt? Right? And then I'm like, well, who are the clothes for? Right? Are the clothes for you? Are the clothes for him? Do you want him? to be able to find joy in things that he puts on his body. Mm -hmm. Um, Or is this about you presenting, you know, a look to the world, like that your child is well-clothed, that your child is taken care of, that your child is, wears things that are aesthetically pleasing to adults, or is this about children? Mm. Um, So I think about, I think about that a lot, like, what is this really about? And like how can you center the child's choices? Um so I think about that a lot. I think a lot of it is actually the internal work that adults gotta do about how we react to children if you know, if we think they are talking back. Are they talking back or are they asking a question? Are they asking for clarity? You know, as we adults, <laughs> always should be asking for clarity. Um But what does it mean if your whole life, somebody, as we would, we would say it, somebody was checking you. Like, what (laughs) does it mean your whole life if someone was checking you? And then in adulthood, we ask why children don't, I mean, why people don't advocate for themselves. Um, So I think about that a lot. Like, how how am I going to ask my child to be an advocate for himself if whenever he asks a question, I shut him down?
0: Right. Where do they learn it? Where do they learn the mm-hmm. practices? Where do they learn how to ask questions, to speak up, to mm-hmm. use their voice if they're silenced at home?
1: Yeah.
0: Such good questions. And so, so reflective of you to be like, I have to pause and reflect in the moment. Um, and I love the idea of like your son wanting colors and wanting to wear tie dye and wanting and acknowledging that colors is something that he loves. Like it's one of his ways of expressing himself. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because the things that you discussed about your son are really about his image, right? His Mm -hmm. polish, his clothing. And it it is a lot about us as the parents really wanting to share a particular image with the world of our children. And it's like instead of trying to paint a picture and make our children be acceptable to this world, what if we force the world to accept our children as they are? You know, we're trying to force our children to fit into a box. Boys don't wear nail polish or you're too young to wear nail polish or whatever the reason is. Right. Um, That we push up against those limitations that are put on our children. We have to push up against them, you know, and I I, and I this all resonates because (laughs) I had so many challenges when I was even starting to reflect on what does it mean to be a liberated parent it ha- a lot of mm-hmm. it some of it was around fashion and clothing yeah. and my son hated anything that was not sweatpants or <laughs> athletic wear my son.
1: he just wants tie eyes like
0: he likes athletic wear like this whole yeah. ath- athleisure thing that adults yeah. that adults are yeah. finally getting yeah. into because of the pandemic that is yeah. all he has worn his whole life yeah and mind you trying to go to church
1: and then be like, what can we learn from our children? He's like, I want to be comfortable.
0: And I ask him, and he like legit, it's like if he puts on an outfit, he will squat, stretch, jump, and then he'll be like, okay, I can wear this today. <laughs> if My he can't bend or it, squat, um... if he can't do that, he'll be like, nope, this is uncomfortable. I can't wear this today.
1: <laughs> he calls him, I only want soft pants. That's what he's saying.
0: It's a thing around it's a thing around the the texture. But what I think these babies and what I had to learn how to do was realize why I was so, 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 so zero focused in on what he was wearing. Right. Mm -hmm. It's less about what he has on the outside and what he is on the inside. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I used to be like, oh, my goodness, I am being the fashion police because I'm afraid of the police. Yeah. So I'm being the fashion police because I'm afraid that the way he looks in the world, whether he has on a hoodie or he has on the wrong color or the wrong mm-hmm. thing that like that's going to get him in trouble. So I was doing it as a protective mechanism, yes. but really it was causing more harm. And that also reinforced victim blaming like yep. there's nothing that yep. anyone wore that made them more, more acceptable of being murdered or killed or harassed by the police it's yeah. not about what they were wearing it was about racism and so if They're I tell ready. my son he can't wear a mm-hmm. hoodie because of this situation then it's implying that it's his fault if anything ever happened to him and it's never going to be his fault it's going to be mm-hmm. white supremacy's fault and so it's, I, I was white supremacy. so I had to stop being the fashion police and I had to start mm-hmm. saying fuck the police not be the fashion police and like stop policing my child yeah, and yeah. letting him be free okay so one of the things that you've talked a lot about is just around like creativity and art and I know that you work in the art world um, and we know that art is one of like the very first forms of expression that children use to explore the world you know so Mm -hmm. can you talk about the ways that you use art to cultivate an environment of liberation um, for black youth in your role as the director of community arts at the Museum of Children's Art
1: um it's, it's, that's another, you have great questions. <laughs> um, I think for one of the ways that I use art to cultivate an environment of liberation for black youth and all the youth that I'm working with um, is around like, how do you see yourself reflected in the art? Um, what it like? What does it mean to create a self portrait? Um, yes, that reflects what you look like, but also like who you are. Um, what does it mean to create a self-portrait based on all of the things that bring you joy? Um, what does it mean to say that like you are also a part of the art world? Um, sometimes I I create programming, sometimes I take you. We just went on a field trip yesterday where we went to an art museum um, that had an exhibition on interactive, like digital kind of art. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking around like there was a there was a room and it was a dark room and it had like projectors all over the wall. And it was just all these bright colors and flowers and just beautiful things. Um, And I thought about how beautiful it was to take high schoolers who are notoriously too cool to engage. (laughs) Right. Too cool. But they were so excited to just be and experience the art. Um, and I think about like, what if that was the way that we cultivated creative spaces for children? What if it didn't always have to have a, a like data specific impact report? What would it mean if we just cultivated spaces where children and young people could create um, and they could feel powerful in their ability to create? Um, in their ability to try out new kinds of art experiences, new kinds of materials. um, So they find out what they enjoy. Every person isn't gonna enjoy every aspect of art. Mm. Um, I myself, I don't even really consider myself an an artist. I I always say I'm an art enthusiast because I love the feeling of it. I love the look of it. I love um, the space when I'm surrounded by art. Um, but I like I, I dabble, you know, I'm like, let me paint this piece of paper and, and you know, swirl it around. <laughs> but it's not like so it's not the I would say like that. I want every child to be a professional artist. I want every child to be able to experience creativity that comes from within. Mm. Um, I want every child to be able to engage with things and just be present i want every child to take something from inside of their brain their imagination and make it real um so what does that mean that means that um oftentimes i develop programming where children um you know at if there's like a farmer's market um i'll say like we should have an art booth here where children just get to create something. Mm. So yes, there's a guy, there's, you know, a guideline, you can create this or you can create whatever you want. Um, You can use the materials the way you want. Like, I think the most fun that children can have with art is when they get to lead it. Um, I think another way that you can cultivate this environment for liberation is um, ask them what they want to create. Mm-hmm. Ask them what they're interested in. Um, I myself was interested in the youth creating um, self-portraits. Mm-hmm. And another, uh, some of the middle schoolers were saying, well, we don't want our faces to be on it. And I was like, well, how do you create a self-portrait if you don't want your face to be on it? And then <laughs> I thought about, well, what about your handprint? And they're like, okay. And so I'll we kind of used like handprints and clay to create something totally different. Like, I was like, this is still a self-portrait. This is still them using their imagination to create something that um, that makes it, it permanent, I suppose, like, is, is continuous. It reflects who they were at that point in their lives, um, what they were thinking about, what they were interested in. Um, those, are, I think, are some of the ways that you create liberatory environments, create the artistic programming, where the children are already at, Mm -hmm. right? So if the children are hanging out in the library, develop programming for the art to be in the library. If the children like to hang out at the park, develop art in the park. Mm -hmm. Um, If the children love basketball, right? Like how do you incorporate uh, movement into the art? How do you, you know, incorporate dance into the art? Um, How do you incorporate like Social media, like, so many kids are on social media um, using TikTok, creating their own dances. Like, that's art. That is art. So, like, all of those create liberatory spaces for children where they find joy in. And so instead of telling children things like, do you know how to read? You can memorize all these songs. I'm like, why don't you tap into them being able to memorize all them songs? (laughs) Like, I think about... (laughs)
0: We all know that conversation. I've heard <laughs> that conversation.
1: <Yeah. laughs> so, I mean, I think those are some of the ways.
0: Yeah, those are great ways. Thank you for all those recommendations for mm-hmm. for me, for all folks listening. Um, just strategies on how they can integrate and create more liberatory environments for, for young children, Black children, to, you know, tap into their creativity. Um, I actually sit on the board of an organization called A Long Walk Home. Um, it's based Mm -hmm. in Chicago and they're an art activism organization that supports um, black girls in like cultivating their artistic talents um, for the sake of liberation. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. like, how do you use art for liberation? And they talk a lot, they, they work on like art, art activism and they really support the girls in cultivating their own art practice, whether it be dance or writing or singing or photography, or, you know, there's Mm -hmm. just a variety of art hand on, um, all types of art forms. And, um, my friend, who's the Ed e- um, Shaherazad Tillett, actually is having an art exhibit called "Black Picturing Black Picture Picturing Black Girl Play," mm-hmm. and it's just this idea. Um, sorry, picturing Black girlhood moments of possibility. That's the name of her exhibition, um, and also Black Girl Play. And it's like this idea that you said earlier that. What would be possible if our children saw themselves reflected in art, that if they saw themselves as artists and not a thing that's like removed from them, like going to the museum, you don't see anything in the museum that's representative of you or you don't even know that the artists are, you know, look like you or have your same experience. And so it's like what's possible when our children actually can create the art and see themselves connected to the art and reflected in the art. Um, And so that exhibition is like curated by all Black, queer, gender nonconforming um, folks, you know, and Maybe you
1: send me that because I need to go
0: see that. I'm going to send it to you. It's in new it's in Newark. You know, we're going to have to take a trip together. You want to go. But um, um. <laughs> it just show it just reminds me it's just another example of what's possible. Um mm-hmm. You know, those girls who've been in those programs through that program have gone on to, you know, really just hone and tap into their own creativity and have been able to like reclaim or discover their voice and their power and their agency. So I definitely think of art as a tool um, for liberation. So I just really appreciate the work that you're doing.
1: There's a beautiful uh, art exhibition that I think just recently closed, but they do it like every year um, in San Francisco and it's called The Black Woman is God um mm, and you can say that again <laughs> the black woman is god okay hey, hey. Amen. <laughs> every year they feature um black women and black gender non-conforming folks and the entire exhibition is around like what what does this statement mean to you so there's like mixed media pieces there's paintings there's um interactive exhibitions, there's movies, there's dances, but there's all these works of art created by Black women and gender nonconforming folks around what does it mean to tap into the godlike part of yourself Mm -hmm. um, or your community. And every time I go, um, because I go every year, um, (laughs) every time I go, I just leave feeling so full. And I think about like that even even this exhibit is like like a ceremony. Mm. So mm. I'm like, what does it mean? What would it mean if all black children had had something like that that they just knew meant how extraordinary they were?,
0: mm. Mm. yeah. That would be so powerful. And you know what? It's so possible. And it I'm, is. And I'm sure you're like, you know, cooking something up, especially with the work you're doing at the um, Museum of Children's Art.
1: I'm always uh, cooking.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of curated and exhibitions and curated, um, Art forms, I believe you curated this piece of art for us at Parenting for Liberation. Um, you curated a book list to inspire and encourage other Black parents to teach about Black history in ways that inspire Black futures. Can you talk about some of the books on the list and why you feel they are supportive of Black families, Black children, and Black parents?
1: Yes, so first I was super excited and to do this, to curate this book list, because this is what I find a lot of joy in, um, as we were saying, for the sake of joy. (laughs) Um, It's also a very useful tool. Um, I think, so I chose books. um, I realized as I was choosing these books that there's a particular age range that I'm super engaged in the literature that's coming out for Black children. zero to five, five to seven, and like uh, six to eight, Mm -hmm. I realized were the majority of the books that I was tapping into. Um, And so for zero to five, I chose books like, uh, there's a book called Hey Black Child, and it's a poem that was written by um, Usaini Eugene Perkins, um, illustrated by Brian Collier, who's like the illustrator of illustrators for black children's books, he's a legend. And the entire book is a poem. It's like a love letter to black children. I love Um, that book. It is so beautiful. Um, And it talks about um, do you know who you are, who you really are? Do you know you can be what you want to be um, if you try to be what you can be? And so like, what is it like this book speaks life into black children? It's like an affirmation a love letter mm-hmm. of black children. It is. What if black children believed this poem of themselves at all times, or maybe most of the time, because nobody's spark. But, mm-hmm. um, there's another book called follow your dreams, little one. And, um, it's a journey into most of these people being black male ancestors. All of them are, are not gone. Some of them are still with us, uh, on this plane. But, um, It's there's a uh, older children or like an older, like young adult book, which has a lot of text in it, but this one is simple. It has beautiful illustrations. Um, and it's about like, what does it mean to follow your dreams? So they follow black folks, black men who have become pilots, who have just not just played tennis, painted just all of these ways, um, to explore your dreams. Um, there's a book, That I enjoy, um, May Among the Stars. I love that book too. May Jemison is basically like a book about May Jemison when she was young and like the dreams that she had from when she was young. And her teacher was basically hating on her. But like, Mm. what does it mean? um, What does it mean that her Black parents was like, if this is what you want to do, baby, like, we got you. So, like, I want that experience for all Black children.
0: Yes.
1: And then there's another book that I love. It's called actually another. And it's a wordless book. Um, and so it's illustrated by Christian Robinson. Um, and it's a wordless book, and it follows um like a black girl exploring like this kind of whimsical dreamland. And the the thing that I think is most beautiful about it is if you, as you are reading the book, even though there's no text, like, what does it mean if you allow your child to create their own story? Like what imaginative things will they come up with just using the pictures as a guide? So like when we're talking about like black dreaming, we actually have to hold space for people actually dream. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and not just, you know, what I want to be. It's like, what do I see? What what do I create from what I see? Um, some of the other books that I love, 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 um, there's a book called *The Me I Choose to Be*, mm. um, and it's like this very like Afrofuturist kind of photography that's created to go along with this kind of poem about like I get to choose the me that I want to be. Mm. And I'm like, what kind of beautiful message is that for children to see themselves in these like beautiful, intricate, unique like images? But also, like, you get to choose which you you want to be. I love it. There's another book, Milo Imagines the World. And it talks about this little boy who's sitting on a bus. And he's creating uh, stories for all these people that he sees. And he's creating these, like, beautiful worlds around him. um, Through, like, the mundane, right, of every day. Like, how do you find and imagine beauty in those spaces that you see all the time around you? that other people might not see is beautiful. Um, another book, uh, All Because You Matter has these beautiful illustrations. And it's it's a story that uh, basically t- talks a child through all of the ways that they matter in a world that doesn't always present that, um, that reality to them. So the book is like um, a way to lift up like, the, the ancestors, the present, the future, and all the ways that you are centered in this just because of like who you are in the universe. Um, and so like a lot of the books that I chose are like um, books that uplift, what does it mean to dream? What does it mean to imagine? There's a book about a little girl, Lily Brown's painting. And she talks or through the book, it's a little girl who just paints the world in which she wants to see it, like how she wants to see it. So I'm Mm. like, what does it look like for black children to create the world that they wanna see and not just be caught up in responding to the world in the way that it currently is. Mm. There's a book about uh, the birth of hip hop when the beat was born. (laughs) And it talks about like the imagination that it took to develop this new form of music and like what was used to develop this new form of music like you know it was in house parties it was in um like what are the caribbean roots of it what are the new york city roots of it how are the ways imaginative black children and black young adults came together to create this form of art that is still with us and will be with us you know it's it's an ancestral legacy that is constantly evolving and changing and and rooted in innovation. Yes. Um, so I think, you know, books, I think, uh, or there's another book, the um, Biography of Sunrock. And if we are talking about like OG Afrofuturists, like Sunrock, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, so I think like there's a lot of different ways that we can talk about, like black dreaming and black futures. Um, and I think a lot of the ways that, that I, that I think are super important um, are through dreaming and imagination. And I think books are a are beautiful like kind of portal into these, all these spaces that we want for our black children.
0: Thank you so much, Ashley, wishing yeah. you and your family and your beautiful black babies and your plant babies, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a happy black futures month. You as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting for Liberation. I hope something on this episode will inspire you on your parenting journey. Please like us on all social media at Parenting for Liberation. Until next time, let's get free y'all.